Hello, hello, hello. Greetings, everybody, from Vintage Sand Studios South. That's right. We are way south of where we usually are. We're on the other side of 14th Street now um, and uh, ready to share episode 10. And by the way, I just want to mention, a uh, case of, I guess you'd call it premature enumeration, um, I said last episode was episode 10. This is actually episode 10. So we've made double digits, fellas. I think there's something, uh, I think there's something noble and wonderful in that. Confused about that. Yeah, <laughs> we made it to ten episodes, and they haven't canceled us yet. Not that they can, but there you go. Um, we we have to we have to sort of uh, say anything about the Oscars or no. less said the better because that was our last topic for episode nine, and we we called it. Uh, what did we I threaten? Have, I haven't seen Green Book yet. Yes, you have. Even though you haven't yes, seen you it, you've, have. you've seen more it than ever. once. Yes, John, and you, done better. You too can see the thrill of Viggo Mortensen playing an Italian guy teaching an African American guy how to eat fried chicken properly. Yes, you can. Josh, si se puede. Josh, you're making it sound more entertaining than it is. <laughs> well, I was very happy that Roma won Best Director. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, I feel I wish they'd at least nominated Deborah Granick, but not going to happen. Um, yeah, no, I was very, I was overall totally pleased until the last award, and uh, you know, I, I just are the uh, actress shocked yeah, I wonder, me. I always, yeah, I, I know. have wondered that would have even been nominated if they had not expanded it to nine nominations. I doubt for it. Best picture. I wonder because it wasn't nominated for director. I know, and nor should it be. Because he's not a good director. <laughs> Peter Farrell. He no. is not. Even in his no, comedies. No, 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 no. It's not no, very no. good. Not oh. very good, no. Um, and the ceremony was not fun, and they left Stanley Donan out of the necrology. Well, it was the day before. I know, but it's hot, you know. Yeah, get I can understand. <laughs> he died great. the day before. Right. And, uh, well, we'll talk about him a little bit yes, later. Stanley. And and as and Albert Finney, too, of oh. course. Yeah, mm-hmm. do. Um, for the necrology. we have Now we have our own necrology. We yeah. We just need the music to go with it. So, uh, less said about the Oscars, the better. So, let's let's open with a um, Jeopardy-style question. <clears throat> and I feel qualified because I actually was a contestant, contestant. on, uh, yes, first day with a new tongue. So, you know, I'm just working that out. I was a contestant on Jeopardy. So, um, what would you say? It's the 50th anniversary of Abbey Road, right? The 50th anniversary of Let It Bleed by The Stones and some other amazing albums. What was the number one pop hit of 1969? 1969? Yeah. Is that all there is? <laughs> <laughs> Raindrops keep falling on my head. Seven. No, that, that, was, that was, it was a big hit, but. That was a big hit. It was way too good. I mean, it's it's a, it's a horrifyingly trashy, wonderful song, and it fits in perfectly with our topic today because anyone playing along, that's right. It was "Sugar Sugar" by the Archies. Oh my God, I remember that. So every time we come on the radio, I turn it off. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's what they call an earworm, which is like those critters in Star Trek that eat your brains out and let Khan <laughs> control your every action. So yeah, my point being is that you know we can make fun of one-hit wonders in any medium all we want, but the fact is that. One hit is more than 99.99999% of all artists ever have. Yes. And so, yes, I'd much rather listen to Abbey Road and Let It Bleed than Sugar Sugar. But time to give some... Come on, you, you guys know you want to sing. All right. We'll, no! We'll, we'll, maybe at the end we'll, we'll give our record. No! no. <laughs> so, and... Um, 
our episode 10 is uh, film's greatest one-hit wonders. Um, these can be directors who made only one film or who made a couple of films, as in most cases here, but who just, you know, could not recapture... The magic, and so, but these films are all worthy of attention, and and each of them has received, I think, a different level of attention um, over the years. Some many were uh, were ignored. Some have aged better than right, and many, you know, came and and you know, my my number three. Um, actually, my number four, because we all agree on number one, and we'll talk about our number yes. one at the end. And anyone who's thought about film one hit wonders knows who are no- what film is going to be our number one. There's only one choice, really. But um, my number four, then, as it were, is a film that was extremely popular when it came out and has aged kind of not so well. Um, but I'll talk about that in a minute. And some, which were, you know, left in total obscurity in their time, have become classics, legends, and as, you know, yeah. several of the ones we're going to talk about. So today we we give some we give some sugar to Sugar Sugar and all the other one-hit wonders out there. Who wants to start? Who wants to start? John, there's so, a, okay, yeah, we're, the yeah, we're in Studio hey, South. My, we're in, we're in, my, we're in my, your My first one is Boys in the Hood, 1991, directed by John Singleton, screenplay by John Singleton. Yeah. And after that? Well, first, okay, I love Higher Learning. I haven't seen it in a long time. And I, I thought it was an interesting movie. And Singleton, I, I definitely agree with Singleton as a one-hit wonder, but, like, you know, there he was 21 years well, old. He was, yeah. only, he was only 23 when he wrote and directed this movie. Incredible. And my feeling after the movie was, my God, this guy's got this is very promising young director. What's, what's he going to do next? What's you know, going to happen? My favorite film of his is Rosewood. Okay, it's interesting because I remember when I saw Rosewood, I was kind of I don't disappointed. Remember Rosewood. Rosewood is the one that takes, it's a very Zora Neale Hurston film. It takes place in one of those, based on a real incident that happened yeah. in 1923, a northern Florida town, yeah. an all-black town. A woman is attacked, she falsely accuses a man from the black town of doing it, and the white folks get together and I massacre am. everybody. Well, there, was, there was... Quite a bit of criticism, though, about what he did, though, with the writing, because he created the Ving Rhames character it's fictional. Right. And people who knew a lot about the incident were like, why did you create this fictitious character who kind of comes from nowhere to help save us or whatever, when really the more interesting story is how the people there reacted. Right. And in the state of Florida... And it, it, didn't, it just didn't do well. No. And But the state of Florida was ultimately forced to... They never publicly acknowledged it. Right, and at least the film made them come out and say, "Yes, this actually happened back in 1923." But if you're a Zora Neale Hurston fan or a John, I mean, it is. There's no good film, I don't think, of their eyes were watching God. I mean, there's Halle Berry did the TV one, which is meh. But if you really want to get a sense of what the black towns were like that she writes about in her books, Rosewood's a good place to start. But boys, but but Singleton was he was nominated for best director and best original screenplay that year, and and the movie did. Did very well. Yeah, it, it was, was a, a, it was a hit. Amazing, and it, was. it has it has real power to it, and it's. I mean, I remember seeing the movie at the end. Was, was oh crying. my god! When what, the scene where Ricky gets shot is just yeah. unwatchable. It's unbearable. Well, it's also, it's the aftermath afterwards when they bring him back, and his his mother and his and then she, her and his girlfriend to, yeah. to the half brother and oh. And of course, then she opens the SAT scores yeah. envelope, and he would have gotten yeah. to into USC. Yeah. 
But he has he has done other movies that did very well, but they're not like Shaft, the Shaft yeah. remake, which I Shaft hated. And, yeah, and Fast and Furious Two Oof. he directed, but you know nothing that was is really that was his. So yeah, there it's, was. It's disappointing. That's that was his. I love Lawrence Fishburne in that. In that, in uh, Boys in Hood. Boys yes. Yeah. Fantastic. He's a very, He's very good actor yeah. in general. Furious yeah. Styles. I, I yes. tend to yep. always like him. Yes. He's a good stage actor, too. Pretty much everybody in him was good. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, the huge surprise was uh, was was Ice Cube. Yeah, I mean, he was excellent it was, in it. And that scene, I won't, the, 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 the takeaway, so many great moments in the film, but when... You know, he settles things with Doughboy at the end, and then... No, he's he's with the tray at the end. And then he walks away and just fades out. Yeah. And it's the title yeah. says that he was killed in yeah. a shooting two weeks later. Yeah. But just seeing him walk away and, and then fade... Was just yeah, and just before that, too, is when... Because he says, like, I have... He basically says, I have no family left or whatever. And Cooper Gooding just says, you always have a brother with me. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, extra- extraordinary, and I love the speech that Lawrence Fisher gives to the kids in the neighborhood about the real estate and everything. Well, I like what he says, but it, it is a little—it's all spikely. It's a little polemical. Yeah, I think yeah. that would have been better that little moment if this crowd doesn't gather. If it was just, yeah. if it was just Cooper Gooding and his and his friend instead, like you know, the camera kind of goes up. And there's this crowd that's gathered to listen to him. This I didn't. Like, and didn't Spike little... Lee cut it down when it came out? I don't. I do not I, think I he was a fan. I, I it might have been a little bit of jealousy. I would think so. At that point, that was two years after "Do the Right Thing," and Lee was quoted as saying they will never nominate an Afro, Afro-American director for an Oscar. And then, well, this twenty-three-year-old comes. Well, yeah, was, no one has won, of course, True. but yeah. uh, at least the Mexican New Waivers keep winning. So I guess that's something. But yeah, Boys in the Hood is, and it's surprising because it felt so much of its time. I feel the same way about it as I do about Do the Right Thing. It's so much. It's so 1991, it was. It was. and younger, yet younger people have spoken. Yep. who have seen it, like it a lot. It's aged very well, I think. Mm-hmm. I haven't. I haven't seen it. In I, years. I, lo- I love. Totally agree. All right. Mikey, your number four, I guess, this My would be My number taken? four, okay. Because we all have the same number. Uh, I would go with The Wings of the Dove from 1997, hmm. directed by Ian Softley, based on the novel by Henry James. Sure. And um, Ian Softley is a British director who's, I believe, has his own uh, production company, but uh, mostly does sci-fi movies. Yeah, yeah, he did the, that was it. K-Pax. Uh, K-Pax, yeah. With, with Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey and Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Um, the thinking man's pay it forward. The uh, Skeletal <laughs> Key, oh, Inkheart. Oh, God. Trap for Cinderella and Curve. And they still let him direct. Yeah, well, oh, I, 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 I don't know if these movies have even been uh, released in the U.S., but Wings of the Dove... Excellent. Yes, yeah, excellent. Really good I film. think, along with, and John disagrees with me because he doesn't like this movie, along with The Heiress, I think it's one of the best adaptations of Henry James' film adaptations. Oh, yeah. yes. And what they did no was argument. Some, and what yeah. they did was something very interesting. The novel takes place, was written in 1902, but the movie is 1908. And they deliberately pulled it a little forward. Hmm. And I think it was to get out of the Victorian era 
and to make it just a little mm, more modern, racy. More um, uh, I, I just watched it again. It was on Showtime this month. If, if, um, and um, Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, she's great in it. I think it's her best performance. She got her first I, I'm, I'm really Oscar happy nomination. I'm this movie because yep. I thought about choosing it. Because I remember when it came out, after I, I saw mm-hmm. it, I was like, I wanted to tell people about yeah. that was such a, it was a surprise how yeah. good it was. Really, really good and movie. And no. very few people who did bother to go see it liked it. And no. It didn't, just yeah. didn't do well at And all. It, it got four Oscar nominations for actress, adapted screenplay, cinematography, and costume design. And uh, she won the L.A. Film Critics Award for Best Actress. But it, it and just, everybody, everybody is good. Everybody is good. Uh, Linus Roach, who later yeah. went on right. to Law and Order. Right, right. And the American actress, um, oh, no, um, I didn't write it down. But uh, she's very good. Uh, Allison, I can't remember her name. I can look it up. Mm, I didn't. I haven't seen it since it came out. Charlotte Rampling is in it. Love Charlotte uh, Rampling. And Alex Jennings and uh, the great. Um, I can't think of we'll his look name. Uh, <laughs> Who's the great? We act- need a staff. If anyone's got any free time, plays, and wants to donate. Who plays Pro Dumbledore? Bono? Uh, the second one. Uh, Michael Gambon. Michael Gambon. Okay. Yes. Yes. Michael Gambon yes. Is yes right. He plays. Uh, and it, it's it's just a very intense, kind of humorless. There's very little humor in it. Oh, Elizabeth McGovern is also in it. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah she is. all you Downton Abbey fans, yeah, pay attention. And, uh, be, she she does most only English movies really for the most part because she that's where she lives. She pretty much left the the U.S. But um, and it has a wonderful score. Uh, I think was it nominated for a score? It wasn't. It who, who did the score? I did not get the name. Hmm. But um, you could do a whole thing on Henry James adaptations. Well, there yeah. have been. So you were well, talking the, about the Bostonians in the previous. Bostonians is yeah. pretty good. It's not as good as this. This, the, as I said, what they the, the clever thing they did was to uh, was to move the move time the date. period a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. I really, really uh, find that fascinating. And Music by Edward Shermer. Yeah, well, another... The legendary. Legendary. <laughs> Alison Elliott. Alison Elliott, yes. Alison Elliott. She, uh, she does a lot of TV work. She mm. pops up in a lot of Law and Orders. But um, it's... Maybe it's, Linus Roach got her work on there. Yeah, maybe. Because he's sort of disappeared, too. But I guess he does... Dun, dun. He does a lot of TV, even after Law and Order went off. And he does a very good American accent, I have to say. Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's my number three film. All right, lovely. Well, I... I it, if you're listening out there, you haven't seen that. I yeah. definitely Showtime has it on this, really this, this month. Movie. No, it, it's a beautiful movie. And yeah. I, I used to love Helena Bonham Carter so much. I still do. Yeah, until oh. she started doing stuff for her husband and was just like yeah, but her, playing they're bug-eyed divorced. weirdos, I know. And now she's going to be playing Princess right. Margaret. Right, but she just played that character in, um, um, in Ocean's 8. And it was like the same really annoying character. Although well, I liked her in <laughs> I like I loved her in um, King's Speech. That yeah, was the only I thing did. I really liked about. She was she very was, she was restrained she was and lovely, excellent. and but yeah, you, the little bit of sly humor was appearing mm-hmm. every once in a while. But yeah, I, I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing what she does with Princess Margaret. Okay, because that's a that's a one tragic figure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, so my number four, I guess technically, because as I said, we all have the same number one, is uh, a film 
that it's the film that I was referring to before that before that I don't think has aged very well. But my God, when it came out, it was huge and it created one of Hollywood's hugest stars. And its director and writer just vanished off the face of the earth. And that is Risky Business. Um, yeah, yeah, Tom Cruise had, had Paul, appeared Paul, in... Paul, Paul Brickman, Brickman, yeah. yeah Tom just, Cruise had appeared in some things before that. He was right. in one of the military... Taps. Yeah, he was in Taps, Taps, yeah. And in Losing It, that bad uh, teen comedy. But, of course, that turned that movie turned him into Tom Cruise. And, you know, I, I, I should begin with an apology. It's a film that would never be made now. And, and in, it shouldn't in, be. Right, nor should it be in the era of hashtag MeToo. And I say that by way of saying that that movie came out in 1983 and the character Joel... Tom Cruise's character is worried about, you know, girls and about getting into the right school. And in 1983, I was 18 and worried about girls. And and so it was like Brickman somehow drilled into my head and and knew exactly what my fantasies and my nightmares were. But you it didn't was become just, a pimp. It was just right, exactly. <laughs> and you know, I suppose you could argue. I guess it's that, sort of appropriate after what happened this week. Uh, well, don't even sorry. We're we're we're, we're recording this um, on the uh, on the fourteenth of uh, of March, right after the scandal has come out. So uh, Felicity Huffman banned from the podcast, right? Yes. All right. Sorry about the yep. college the college admission scandal, which is a teacher I kind of knew about, but it's just devastating. Ooh. But Princeton could use a man like Joel. And you know, this was this was an era of really bad. This was the Porky's age. Yes. You know, this yeah. is was you know early eighties, and this was between that and. And the John Hugh, when John Hughes took right. over the northern Chicago right. suburbs and sort of made them his own in those wonderful films. But Risky, I like Risky, Risky Business better because it's a little darker. I mean, it's yes. definitely there's definitely yeah. a dark vision underneath. Yeah. Also, the music by Tangerine Dream is an extremely influential soundtrack. It's really um, led to many others following that path. And the use of music, right. you have right. the, the scene on the train with uh, Phil Collins is in the air. Um, Swamp uh, by Talking Heads at the party where the you know the Princeton guy right. shows up, and of course most famously the lip syncing uh, old time rock yeah. and roll, which is my least favorite part of the movie. I know, but it, that kind of <laughs> did make him a star. And yeah. you know, let's talk about the casting too. Um, Rebecca De Mornay, who I never really understood why she didn't have more of a career, um, but. Uh, was terrific. You've got great young character actors like Bronson Pinchot's in it, yeah. and, uh, um, Curtis Armstrong's in it. Isn't Fisher Stevens? Is Fisher Stevens is yeah. in it, and of course you got the great Joe Pantoliano as yeah. Guido the Killer Pimp. Time of your life, kid. Yeah. Time of your life. And, and Richard Mazur is the Richard Mazur is the man from Princeton. Yeah. Princeton could use yeah. a man like Joel. <laughs> so again, and Michael's exactly right. It's a film that should not be made today. But for me, in 1980, oh, in 1983, oh, it, it, well, was, it did make Cruz a star. Yes, and it, it, it's, it's like another reason I don't like it. <laughs> well, yeah, there's there's that, but I've got I've I've got even more on Scientology later on with, oh. with my number two. So, um, yeah, uh, so definitely. I, I why didn't Rebecca De Mornay become a bigger star? Well, she did the was the, she the star of the Hand that Rocks the Cradle? Hand that Rocks the Cradle. She I liked her in Trip to Bountiful too. Yeah, that was a Basically, small, relatively small. Yeah, part. nicely she done. And she, she was, still she still works. She was yeah. in uh, Jessica Jones the TV series. I mean, she's, she does a lot of TV work. And, you know, you could argue, I suppose, that the women in the film are not really 
ever out of control. They sort of seem to be in control, but you'd have to really stretch political correctness a long way to Ooh, yeah. to have risky business be an acceptable piece of film. And and, and it, I it, they rarely show it. I mean, I right. never see it on cable. It, it's it's really unfathomable in the in the era of hashtag Me Too. But for me, back in 1983 when I was 18, I thought it was spot. I mean, it got me spot on anyway. And I thought that you know, as John was saying about uh, Singleton. That you know we were going to have a new voice, yeah. and he did one other film it's called Men, called Men Don't Leave, yeah. which sold about three tickets. See, I, I like that movie better. Interesting. I, With yeah, Jessica I Lange. That, movie. that was that was a good yeah. movie. Jessica Lange. Yeah, yeah, that was a good movie. Um, I got the sense from what I've read that he just did not enjoy directing. It shows. And that, <laughs> That he just, you know, like, well, it's kind of like it's off my bucket list. I've done it. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, and he still writes. He still writes for TV and does some film writing. But, you know, we thought... I could be wrong, but that's sort of the feeling I've gotten. I mean, you know, when John Hughes came along, I thought a couple of years later, I thought, okay, I thought Paul Brickman was going to be John Hughes. But, and I would have, as much as I liked the John Hughes films being a child of that period, I I like the darkness and the edge of Risky Business a little bit more. I don't think John Hughes ages very well I, I gotta mm-hmm. tell you something my my you know having taught two generations plus yeah. of students now they still watch really? all of them pretty in pink and 16 candles and especially breakfast club yeah. breakfast, breakfast club is an iconic film now although my favorite of that group by the way is some kind of wonderful so say that's, that one's good. The Eric Stoltz, Mary Stuart Masterson yes. one. I hate Ferris Bueller's Day. There, I said it. I, I don't like it either. I know I know okay. a lot of people love it. I know. I, it's become a cultural touchstone. But <laughs> So, yeah. So, uh, where have you gone, Paul Brickman? And, you know, again, risky business justifiably would not get made today. But for what it was and when it was, it makes my list at number four. John, you're, you're next up. Oh, well... Boys Don't Cry. Oh, my God. Although, I did love Stop Loss. The only other film of hers I've ever seen. I have not seen I Stop Loss. I haven't either. And it came and went. Yeah, came and went. And, Weird. Uh, my favorite Iraq film. Even including Hurt Locker. But, yeah. But, uh, oh, my God. Boys Don't Cry is a stunning movie. <laughs> it's so well done. It's very well acted. Uh, just everything about it. Uh, the cinematography, the, the writing, the, the the atmosphere that's created, the, the bleakness. It's and I remember. I want. I wonder if you guys had the same reaction I did when you saw it, because I remember very, very strongly. Still, the first time I saw it, after it was over, I just said to myself, "Wow." What a great movie! <laughs> I never want to see it again. Yeah, and I never. I have. I've, I show it in school really? to my seniors. I'm, and only they, seniors do they like would. It? Uh, yeah. Well, it's hard. Not a film to like. It's a film that they like. That's yeah. what I mean. And it has. There's such a sense of dread to it once oh. you get the premise set up. Because the whole time, this last time I was watching it, I just kept saying, "Like, go home, Brandon. Right. Go home." Right. Go home. Something bad is gonna happen. Can't you see it? I mean, and and the, uh, the underrated performance is Peter Sarsgaard's because oh, he's, he's, he's an underrated actor. He's, he's very quiet he and, so menacing and, and menacing. And yeah. <sighs> and also, and it's it because it brings up so many different themes. Because also, he's why is he attracted to to him? And I think he doesn't understand either. Yeah. 
And it's his anger about that that leads him to lash yeah. out in the end, I think. Yeah, well, sure. With what yeah. it says about himself, yeah. yeah. And Hilary Swank, lover or not lover, it's, it's an unreal performance. Oh, unreal. Yeah. And and I don't know why, but Kim Pierce is, you know... She I, does TV. Yeah. Well, also, I know that she's very politically active. I don't know... Oh, that may not help. That, that may be I think she's... why she is not directing and writing as much. I don't know. I believe she's very big in the Academy Board of Directors. Yes, she is. Yeah. Yeah. She is. Because yes. I've been reading... There's been this, you know, fight between um, yeah. Netflix and Steven Spielberg. Uh, oh, about what? But also, also, Boy, uh, Boys Don't Cry also is a movie too. You can tell the the director has watched a lot of movies. Yes. Oh yeah. You know, it's you can see the influences, and it doesn't feel like she's stealing or whatever. It's mm-hmm. just like she's learned from all these other directors and film periods, and it's been incorporated into making a good movie. Yeah, like for example, I I got always got a very David Lynch feel about it, you know, especially like in Wild so, at yeah. Heart, you know, just like the the road some, and yeah, the some, emptiness. Some that, and, but she, uh, there's a quote I have from her about uh, the Godfather because she loves the Godfather. And she said, so in John's book, she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So much of the inspiration for her two films was said to come from her love of the Godfather. Quote, it showed me that I can take that love of the gangster movie and I can screen it through a family drama. In both my movies, family is really important. Violence is really important. I'm really interested in the psychological and the authentic portrayal of violence, particularly violence that comes out of emotions. Before The Godfather, I don't know that you could have, could have such a violent psychological film that was that broadly entertaining. Mm. Touche. Yeah. Yeah. She also, because uh, there were problems with getting a rating for it. Yes, that's right. it was right. originally NC-17, mm-hmm. and they had to snip a little bit. Uh, they were... You should pardon the pardon expression. The expression. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excuse me. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> Next week on I Walked Right Into That One. Whoa. But one of the things they complained about the most was the, the orgasm scene. Right, with Chloe Sevigny. And yep. she responded, and she said they didn't. They didn't complain much about the violence at the end at all. No, well, they don't. Right. Yeah, and she said, I, it's funny because I, you know, I never heard of someone dying from an orgasm. If you have, please phone in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't understand why she's only had the wherewithal or to make one other film. But again, it if, might be her choice. You know? It could be. It could be. But, mm-hmm. ch- but if you haven't seen Stop Loss, check it out. Um, but it's not it's not boys don't boys don't cry it couldn't be but well of course if you haven't seen boys don't cry you, you must must yeah. you must must see must, must, if you're must. In movies you must see boys don't you should cry. see another yes. we we're gonna have to do something um, on 1999 at some point because yeah. that was one of the many great films released that year yeah. but that's another like and four it did, episodes it for it me. did well it, it, it did well she it, won the Academy it, Award I mean it's, it, it took a little while to catch on, mm-hmm. but it built up momentum. For an and, art and it movie, did, it, did. And it did very well. It and I have to say, the art house. I was, you know, I was, uh, you know, in my thirties at the time, and you know, reasonably sophisticated New York person. But it it made me think about gender. I mean, yeah. I was. It was one of the first pieces I'd read that really made me think about gender beyond the binary. Mm-hmm. That you know, there's maybe something beyond you know yeah. A and B, and of course that has become a huge in a way kind of sort of started that movement for me, at least, so. No, it brings up many issues having to do with gender and sexuality, and I think that's 
part of the reason why I'm sure a lot of people don't want to see it again because it probably makes them uncomfortable. It's painful and also, but just that that what I loved about it is the claustrophobia of the open space. Oh yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, it's those the, those endless the, the Nebraska highways and the, the bleakness. Uh, it captures the bleakness of their lives in the locale so they're well. Stuck. And they're just they're stuck just, there. And well, they also they don't do anything to try to get out of there or whatever. Right. And it's also and there's that sort of created surrogate family that that they form. In its own is, twisted which, which way. Is, yep. And it's it's very twisted relationships. It's it's very strange. Painful and, and good. Saying, Brandon, go home. Yeah. And I just want to add that I was going to say before about uh, Kimberly Pierce. She's kind of a belongs to a wing of the Academy that's trying to fight to keep art house movies relevant because apparently Steven Spielberg wants to make uh, have a new rule. And instead of having a movie playing for one week in Los Angeles, he wants the movie to play four weeks in Los Angeles to be eligible for an Academy Award. Yeah, it's because he's he does afraid not, of Netflix. He's afraid of Netflix. He did not want Roma or any of the other Netflix movies yeah. in there. He says... It, they be, they should have Emmys, not Oscars. That's yeah. I, I, I thought, I thought had you Netflix's seen Ready? His response to him was was very smart. Yep. Very very smart. Have you yeah. seen Ready Player One? He has good reason to be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. I um, tried to watch. I'm it. just I saying. I it. didn't. It's, it's it's pretty bad. Yeah. Read the novel. The novel's brilliant. The I film didn't. is horrifying. I, yeah. Michael, you're no, you're next. My next one is the fabulous Baker Boys. Nice. Yes. 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 Michelle Pfeiffer on a piano. Written and directed by Steve Cloves. His debut film, yeah, uh, and uh, it is unless they worked in Sea Hunt together, I believe it is the only film that Jeff and Bo Bridges made together. Yeah, I, yeah, I, no, nothing else hits. I, I think yeah. you're right. Yes, uh, they, they did occasionally work together. Right? Yeah, but uh, <laughs> and they're both wonderful uh, in it. I it, once again, this is available on uh, cable. Uh, HBO and Cinemax has been running it. So if you haven't seen it, see it. It's uh, Jeff Bo Bridges and Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, it's two musicians, the pianist from um, Seattle, and their brothers. And their act. Nobody wants to book them. They book at nightclubs, but nobody wants to book them. And then they audition for a singer, and Michelle Pfeiffer is that singer, and she has a checkered past. She has an affair with uh, Jeff Bridges, and. That's excellent. Yep. It's it's not a comedy, and that was one of the problems. That was, that was a big mistake of twentieth century Fox as, a, as comedy, a comedy. As a comedy, and it's not, not a comedy. A comedy. There's, There's some, some humor, humor in it, but very little. And yeah. it has Agreed. a wonderful, wonderful score by Dave Gershon. Yep. And I think that's the last time I bought a soundtrack. <laughs> that's what eighty eight um, or so. Eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yeah. Yeah, but it's. Fully, full, three full-rounded mm-hmm. characters. Right. All really interesting in their own right and in relationships between all of them. That's uh, such a good movie. And Michelle Pfeiffer critically pretty much uh, ran the board of Best Actress that year. She won the uh, New York Film Critics, L.A. Film Critics, um, I think she, uh, National Society of Film Critics. She won pretty much everything except the Academy Award because that was the year of Driving Miss Daisy. Yes, indeed. And nobody was going to be Jessica... The only way Jessica Tandy was going to lose that Oscar if she was part of a slave ring or something. <laughs> she, she just wasn't going to lose. Uh, You're my best friend, Michael. 
she was very, very good in it. I, Michelle, I'm, she's excellent. You know, excellent, mm. but, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, what happened to Steve Okay, Close? he only directed one other movie uh, to date, and that's a movie, uh, Flesh and Bone. Yes, which uh, Which I did not see. Did not see? Uh, Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid. When they were married? Yeah, I think that's mm. where they might have met. Oh, yeah. And I James think Conn. and James Conn. Conn. And I think they and got Natalie Portman has a, a name. And I, uh, so stupid of me. Not um can't remember her name now. I never saw I this. guess I'm getting old, I guess. Yeah, well, welcome to the club. <laughs> it happens in the nicest homes. But it did it it didn't do any business. And then um then he's just started writing and he adapted the wonderful uh, Curtis Hansen movie Wonder Boys. Oh, love that. Yeah. Yes. With Michael Douglas. Yeah. And he has penned the adaptation of every Harry Potter movie except Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Oh, okay. He did every... So, uh, don't cry for him. He's right, probably, so not, uh, not small potatoes. He's, the money's rolling in. I'm sure he's <laughs> very, very happy um, that, because that's eight films. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, But uh, it, it's a wonderful movie and... Um, I just can't. It's it's literally a three character piece because there's there's a few yeah. bit parts in there, but it, it's yeah. no, it's just... and it's pretty intense. And um, really, the only other character is it's a much smaller part mm-hmm. is the boy that, that yeah Jack Bridges there's is a boy with, that lives right. in his right. right right right. And I always wondered at the time why uh, as good as Michelle Pfeiffer <laughs> is, I was surprised that uh, Jeff Bridges didn't get much recognition for that movie because he is superb. Well. He never got recognition for anything until the one yeah. he won for, which sucked, was Crazy Art. Oh, which boy, I, I agree. Well, terrible. That was not a good movie. But he's dude, so yeah. it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Have you seen the Stella commercials oh, that he's it's doing? so oh. dismal. With Sarah Jessica Parker. I know. Do they really need the money? Well, as he says in Lebowski, oh, the follow the money. Yep, yeah, that's what Lennon said. I am the walrus. All right, my number two, I guess it is, no, three technically, is a film that it completely disappeared when it came out. Well, no, that's not fair. It actually won Best Foreign Film at the Venice Film Festival in uh, 1970. And its director, her first and only film, um, was a, it did well in New York. It actually made a good amount of money. I saw a clip of her on YouTube on the uh, the week on the Mike Douglas show where John and Yoko hosted. They insisted that she come on. Oh, wow. And the she in question is Barbara Loden. And Bar- Mike Douglas, wow. Yeah, that the Mike Douglas. That was a really good talk show. It's a yeah. great yeah. guest. Seriously. Except for Dick Cavett, it was like the best one. Yeah. Um, and Barbara Loden uh, was, uh, started her act, her career as a TV actress. I didn't know. Did you know that she wanted Tony? No. Yeah, she wanted Tony for, for After the Fall, for the Arthur Miller oh, wow. play, after the, for Best Supporting. And she was in Splendor in the Grass as Warren Beatty's sister. And well, we excellent. should add that she was married to Eva right, and then Kazan. married Kazan. And I don't know, <laughs> you know, there is a lot of controversy about his role in the film. Uh, he always seemed very dismissive of her as a director. And then, well, of this course, was the year after um, the arrangement came out, which yeah. is on my list as one of the ten 
worst movies ever made. Another Not episode. just the worst Elia Kazan. Totally another episode. Worst yep. movie. Oh no, I agree. And and uh, <laughs> it being the wonderful human being that he was, he he when when she died, one of the reasons this is Barbara Lewin's only film is that she died of breast cancer seven years later, and he then sort of surreptitiously took credit for it. Said, "Oh yeah, well I rewrote a whole bunch of stuff." And he, yeah, he just not not a great. One of my favorite Oscar moments of all time is when they they booed him when they were going to give him the uh, the lifetime achievement. Well, they didn't boo him; they just sat. Well, and I, the, remember. No, I, I remember I remember admiring the people who just sat and, right. and didn't applaud for uh, for some, naming some names as they say. I know yeah. some did, some yeah. did. I think a lot of that had to do with what the relationship with him too. Because I yeah. mean, like Warren Beatty, for example, mm-hmm. said, "Well." You started my career basically. I, I have to, right. I gotta no, but there were. But Steiger didn't like him. And and <laughs> the story of Wanda is very simple. It is a. It's she plays the lead character who's just recently divorced and not caring too much about it in a very beautifully captured um, cold cold country in eastern Pennsylvania, and it's she's just looking for herself and she ends up with a couple of different men and it ends badly every time and she um in the end it kind of ends with a almost a 400 blows kind of ending because she finds a group of people to be with at the end and then there's that freeze frame on her and you don't know if she's going to find Loden herself described Wanda as someone who really wants to find herself and is completely ill-equipped to do so. Absolutely doesn't have the tools or resources to find herself. And it, it that tension is just amazing. And like my, my hero, Deborah Granick, she's amazing at lingering on this town and the people and the, uh, the, 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 the decay of the town. Richard Brody, who I work I usually don't like, who writes for New Yorker, referred to her as the female Cassavetes because a oh. lot of the film is improvised, a lot of the film there are only a couple of professional so actors in it. It's <laughs> but it's not it, it's not exactly a tragedy either. But of course the reason that Wanda and Wanda is now getting a new round of attention because Criterion is releasing uh, a, a brand new version with all kinds of juicy extras. Um, but how many other women directors can you think of in the late 60s, early 70s? That's I mean, the true. only one that comes to mind was Stephanie Rothman, who did a couple of those nurse films for... Well, uh, Elaine May was uh, directing them. Yes. All right. Although she got, you know, she, yeah. she got chewed up by the system pretty quickly. So yes. she really was a pioneer. And uh, I'm, I, it's really good that... And to me, the other film I'd want to compare it to is Killer of Sheep because uh, the Charles Burnett film yes. because just as you know there was black exploitation but then there was Killer of Sheep black exploitation was hollywoodization yeah. of inner city african american life but but Killer of Sheep was real realer yeah. than real low budget very and limited by it but you know non actors and you really got a sense of these like Deborah Granick does in her film sorry to make that comparison again but of lives that are People hiding in plain sight, yeah. lives that are out there, yes. but that we would never see, right. on our, like the, like a woman like Wanda, kind of stuck in cold country, unsure mm-hmm. of what to do with herself. And it is, there's nothing quite like it. And I really recommend seeing. I'm sure they're going to do a theatrical release. They, I saw it at Metrograph last oh, yeah? year on oh. a big screen, which was great. And I'd uh, like to see it on this because I've never seen it. And uh, it's very, it was been very hard to find. Yeah. They they put it out on DVD very briefly. Uh, you 
can get it for like a hundred bucks now. So, but now that the Criterion's yeah. coming out, because they it's, reviewed it today yeah. on uh, NPR's Fresh Air, yeah. And apparently, the uh, budget of the f- whole film was like one hundred twenty thousand. Exactly. Wow. And yeah. and you know who? That's, that's super cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, she was not only an actress, but she was also considered a beauty and not and respected even less because she was you know was she was pretty. And in spite of that, and in spite of you know ultimately being so sick that she couldn't make another film, you know this is a this is an incredible piece of work, and it's a it's a door into a world you'd never really see otherwise. And right. so I strongly strongly recommend it. That's Wanda by Barbara Loden from 1970. John, you're number two. Billy Bud. Yes. 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 By Peter Yusinov. Boy, what a what an excellent movie! Oh my God, yep, Terrence um, Stamp, and such a great cast. Oh my God, Robert yeah, Ryan, Terrence, Terrence yeah. Stamp as Billy Budd, Robert Ryan as Claggart, the Master of Arms, Yusinov as the Captain, oh. Melvin Douglas as the Dansker. Right. He's sort of a almost like a chorus right. mm-hmm. during the movie. He's uh, John Neville as uh, one of the lieutenants, David McCallum as the gunnery officer. Everybody in it is is excellent. The, the, the black and white photography spectacular. is really, uh, yeah, spectacular is a good way, right? Robert Krasker, who did many movies. Um, the last time I was watching, I really noticed how the way the camera is placed and the photography just, as the movie progresses, keep emphasizing the claustrophobia. It's like you really feel it closing in. Even whenever, though you're out on the open sea, and yeah. Even, and whenever, whenever there are shots out on deck where you're out in the open sea, you realize how small a space they're, they're living on. And the ocean is this, I don't know how he did it, but it's black. Yeah. It's black, so it looks like this evil, swirling, like, pot of bubbling ink. It's, uh, you mean, just evil looking. Um, it's, God, it's such a good movie. And it's such an amazing story, too. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a Melville freak, so well, uh, oh, yeah. I'm in. Yeah, but... Melville is still relevant. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Maybe even and more so. And unlike right the film version of, say, Moby Dick, which Ugh. was not, sorry, not a good no, movie. No, not Sorry, John Huston, but... Yeah. You tried. No, but, uh, if you don't know the story or whatever, uh, the main character, Billy Budd, has been uh, impressed into, into the Royal Navy, this is during uh, 1797 when Britain was at war with France. Uh, so there's a, a little setup in the beginning. He's basically, you almost could call it kidnapped from a merchant ship. Uh, the, one of the officers comes over to, to look. He looks over all the crew and everything. And he sees Billy up on the mast. says, who's that? And he makes his decision right there. And when he's in the rowboat, as they're, they're going back to the, the, the warship, he says, uh, goodbye, rights of man, or whatever. It's like, what do you mean by that? I'm, I'm hmm. saying goodbye to the ship, because the name of the ship is rights, rights of, of man. man. But um, Robert Ryan. Oh. oh. You uh, should watch yourself whenever you say that That's name. right, well, the most Robert underrated Ryan actor is one of the most, in American film. I would say is one of the underrated actors of all time. Absolutely. Well, I mean, more and more people are learning how good he was. Yeah, but not enough. I don't know enough. if he ever gave a bad performance. I've never seen uh, one. I mean, nope. He's but done he's, bad movies, and he was the first to admit it, that most oh, yeah. of his movies were but dogs. That's his quote. He's great in it. Yes. And he makes it... I mean, the character is evil. He's a sadist, but he makes him human. Yep. 
and you see that there's well, there's the scene where there, there's a moment between the two of them where you, you start to see some vulnerability to him. Well, that was Ryan's specialty because yeah. he did a lot yeah. of villains and yeah, yeah. They, they were all he brought so much yeah. so much to his but, character. But work. Billy is just one of those people who tries to find the good in everything and everybody and makes friends fast and he's very innocent too. Mm-hmm. And people try to goad him sometimes, but he doesn't he doesn't you know, let himself be taken in. He doesn't become cynical at all. And he still somehow tries to see good in Claggart. And eventually Claggart just, he keeps trying to find ways to to get him somehow committing a crime of some kind or whatever so he can he can carry out a sentence against yep. him. Just can't stand the he goodness. Can't, he, can't, he can't stand him. And um, he eventually, he wrongly accuses him of of trying to plot against the captain and he becomes so angry because he because uh, Billy when he starts to get very excited stammers he can't get the words out and he ends up striking him and Robert Ryan falls and hits his head and dies and just before he dies he looks up and there's a slight smile on his <laughs> face because he knows I've won I finally got him and Peter Yusuf, the captain, uh, I mean, also very human, too. He's, yeah. he's tries to help them, and they have that... That trial. It, uh, it's so-called trial. They keep trying to find a way to get out, and it's like we have to stick to the naval law, otherwise, you know, we'll have chaos. Because also, there have been mutinies going on at ships. They keep hearing about this, and that's one of the things that they fear the most, which is why... They have someone like Claggart, even though Yusunov begins to learn more and more about him. I think he says at one point, like he would never have chosen him. But it's just now. Did this just did it, yeah? Did it did do this well? Movie do it any did, business? It did pretty well. It did. So I why know. did Yusunov never direct again? Well, he did direct. He did. Well, he did. Uh, the Lady L, which is sort yeah. of like a fun kind of in spots. It's not very good. He did. I mean, he was directing for stage. He mm-hmm. did some other movie, which I think was pretty awful. Did he do uh, Johnny Goldfarb? Was that his? I mean, I know he's in it. I don't, I don't know, know if he directed. He didn't it. direct any of the Hercule Poirot movies no. he did in the seventies. No. 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 no, no. But um, that was purely. Yeah. Don't money. Know, I don't know why he didn't. You know, direct another. I always thought he directed Hot Millions, but he didn't. He didn't. Yeah. No. He wrote it. And uh, the last line that Billy has, too, is, God bless Captain Vare, <laughs> which does it the end. Yep. That's the end of the captain. He just breaks down. It's like he basically just gives up his being a captain at that point. And I assume that's, that's Terrence Stamp's first I think uh, so. Well, first it says introducing. Role. I yeah. think yeah. it's his first film role. And maybe there have been parts before that he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And, well, and supporting. Melville... Melville put so much of an emphasis on Billy's physical beauty, yeah. and Stamp was mm-hmm. certainly beautiful back in 1962. I yeah. think as Stamp's breakout role, though, wasn't Billy Budd so much as it collector? was the collector. Yeah, yeah which is... I, I really want to stress too how how well photographed the movie is, too, yep. because Robert Crasker also did cinematography, Odd Man Out, The Third mm. Man, and Brief Encounter. Oh, there you go. All right. So. I mean... Well, and Yusinov worked with Max Ophel, so he probably yes. picked up a thing or two yes. about yeah. directing. Yes. Peter Yus- and Yusinov was nominated by both the Director's Guild and the Writer's Guild. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And the, the screenplay is based on the stage version of Billy Budd. Mm. But there's an interesting anecdote, uh, because the year the movie came out, 1962, is also the year that 
the fully revised version of the novel came out. Mm. Oh. Because uh, originally it came out in the, the 20s. Mm-hmm. And they it found was, it in it his was, desk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was un, it was an unfinished novel, and a, a publisher like rummaging around in I get I think his house or whatever. They found all these papers and like, oh my god, we have another Melville novel. And then there were other there were other papers found much much later or whatever, and it was republished. And it just happened to be by coincidence. It mm. was the same year. By the way, let me English teacher for a second. The novel that drove Melville out of the business. Is which sold about five copies, even fewer than Moby Dick did, is one of the... If you want to get an understanding of, for example, our current president, the last novel Melville wrote before he went back to the Customs House was called The Confidence Man. And it's the story of a guy working a riverboat up the Mississippi. And it is as sharp an analysis of the American... It's Trump. You, I was looking at it again the other day, and it's like, oh my God, this is 1858, and he totally nailed us. So yeah, but but you're right. It is the also the only good adaptation I think of uh, certainly a Melville novel, yeah. short story. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, I can't no. think. No, I can't. No, I mean, I understand why people want to try to do Moby Dick. I unless no. I just it. Was that the only time it was done, or was there a TV movie done? I know there, there was a silent version, I think. Yes. With, uh, I think with, with John Barrymore, I think. Oh. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. okay. And then, and then, like, which part? He was the whale. But it's, it's, I mean, not it's a very, very pared down version of Peck the book. Peck is it's, not very good at no. He tries. He tries, he tries. but it's... It's pretty over the top. Good Orson Welles moment. Yeah. Yes. But that's Which he it. did to get the money to be able to finance his own work. Right. <laughs> Which... <laughs> and around it goes. Michael, your number okay, two. Okay, my number two. By the way, it's just oh. coincidence that all three movies I picked happened to begin with the letter B. Yeah, I was wondering about that. <laughs> is it or is there something hidden in there? They happen to all something? deal with rather bleak themes. Also, just mm. coincidence. I mean, Interesting. we have the, the inadequacy of the justice system with, with Billy Budd, mm. and we have uh, gender and, and bigotry in Boys Don't Cry, and, and Boys in the Hood is dealing with economic disparity and racism. Otherwise, yeah, happy, happy stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's, you know, I, my students always ask me why English. If you think back, everyone, you think back to your own education in high school English. I mean, you know, like I took one, one year I taught like Beloved, The Stranger, Dante's Inferno, and Hamlet in a row. And my kids wanted to all kill themselves. <laughs> so like, yeah. what? Like, what? I wonder why. It's like, so, but, um. why, but, but when they asked why, are, they said, are all English teachers depressives? I said, no, because... Comedy is so subjective, and something yeah. I'll find hilarious, you will absolutely hate. That's true. And whereas, yeah. unfortunately, tragedy is universal. That's why, and that's why yeah. those themes make those films right. so powerful. The universality right. of it, because you know how we've all had the experience. Like, do you ever, your parents ever sit you down and say, "You have to watch right. this movie. Right. It's the funniest thing ever," and they're la- and you're just sitting there like, my oh. strangest experience was taking my aunt and uncle in Florida during the winter to see Mother, which I'd already seen. At a theater that was, nobody was laughing in that movie. It was was silent. And I think that is one of Albert Brooks's best films. And it was silent. Because apparently it it offends old people, the elderly. I, I don't know. I don't know why. 
but well, it was it when was. We get there, we'll find it. It was one of the. Well, I'm there. <laughs> All right. So, okay. Michael, what's your what's your number two? Stuntman. Oh and yes. A lot of people don't know this movie. Happily, it's on YouTube. So anybody who's listening to this, and I presume you love movies, if you're listening to this, go to YouTube. Just write in the Stuntman 1980, and you'll get it. it it's just a regular copy. It doesn't. It's yeah, what happened to Richard Rush? That was such an original. Well, okay. Conceit. Uh, Richard Rush was basically a producer. He really was. That directing was not his for, foray. He had uh, previously directed a few movies that I'd never heard of, and one that I have that's really bad called Freebie and the Bean. Oh, I remember James Conn. With James Conn yes. and Alan Arkin. And, uh, but this was um, adapted from a book by uh, Lawrence Marcus, and it stars Peter O'Toole. Now, i got to explain a little history about Peter O'Toole in the, in the 70s. This was not a kind decade for Mr. O'Toole. Mm. He has the dubious uh, distinction of having appeared in three of the worst movies of the 1970s. And I'm not the only one who says this. Uh, this is almost anything you read about O'Toole will say that will say that. Was it the alcohol? Was it? Uh... No, it was just the movies he was being offered and picked. He made Man of La Mancha, <laughs> which ended the Roadshow musical. It was so bad. I saw that when I was six at Radio City with the program and everything. Yeah, I remember yeah. it was terrible. It is. Terrible movie. He was the lead. He replaced Robert Mitchum in Otto Preminger's Rosebud, which most cinephiles consider Otto Preminger's worst movie. I consider it his worst movie. And I've seen Hurry Sundown and Skidoo. And Skidoo, I was going to say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Why do you do that to yourself? Rosebud <laughs> is even worse. Um, and uh, the funny thing is, he replaced Robert Mitchum, who was drinking on the set. So they got somebody else. They got Peter O'Toole. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I could Good not job. figure this out. Why? Why cast O'Toole? And it's it's um, it's about a kidnapping. Will. It's a kidnapping of four teenagers. Two of them are played by Kim Cattrall and Isabel Huppert. Now, there's a pairing you don't yes, usually no, not associate. In same, not in the same sentence. Um, and it uh, was the film debut and the uh, film, the last film of Mayor John B. Lindsay. There you go. And anyway... It, it, I, Get I, me a young Abe Beam. <laughs> and then he... But then O'Toole, it, didn't, it did no business. It was the second to last film for uh, Preminger. But then O'Toole even went further down. Caligula. I'm sure there was at least a nice payday in that one. Now, have either one of you had the misfortune? I saw Caligula, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I was 15. I thought it was hot stuff. Okay. I was 15. I had no discernment or any sense whatsoever. It, I mean, uh, Caligula is basically a porn movie. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I was, not I was even, 15. Not even that erotic. <laughs> Yeah, no. It's but it a, did. Uh, it was produced by um, Bob Guccione. Guccione. It had other decent actors in it. Uh, Helen Mirren was in it. Helen Mirren. I think it was before she was famous. Right. Uh, Sir John Gilgood. Um, but uh, this they must was. Have all gotten paid well. They did. Yeah. They did. But uh, and then he didn't. The last movie of any note he had done was in uh, 1972, and that was the Ruling Class. Ruling Class. Yes. So they uh, uh, got him cheap, 
And anyway, The Stuntman is about a um, an outlaw. He's on the lam, played by Steve Railsback, <laughs> who most people don't know. He's known for being uh, playing... Um, uh, Charles, Manson. Charles Manson in... Um, oh, in... Helter Skelter, Helter Skelter on TV. Right. He still works today. I looked him up. He still does a lot of television. But anyway, he, he's on the land, and he literally runs into this film company that's uh, making a movie. O'Toole recognizes something about him, and he makes him a stuntman through weird circumstances. I, I don't even like to explain the whole movie because I want people to just to go and watch this on YouTube. It is so much fun. It is the making of a movie... But it's much more. It's not exactly day for night or two weeks in another town. It's just so much fun. Barbara Hershey is in it. Um, who's play, who plays Mo Green in The Godfather? Um, I forget his name right now. Gets shot in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he's we'll in it. We'll go back to that. <laughs> um, and uh, it's it's... It research. Get me research. It didn't do well, although people in the industry loved it. It got three Oscar nominations for O'Toole, for Richard Rush, this obscure director, and uh, for this uh, best screenplay adaptation. It lost the, them all. Uh, that was the year of Ordinary People. And O'Toole uh, lost the best actor to um, um, Robert De Niro in Raging Bull. Fair you enough. Can't, you can't really yeah, argue no with that. No complaints there. Alex Rocco played. Alex Rocco. Mo Green. Yes, yes. I'm Mo Green. Uh, and it's... Michael, you can't come out to Vegas talk to a guy like Mo Green like that. <laughs> but um, anyway, and... Oh, yeah, and O'Toole play, is the flamboyant director of this movie. And he modeled it after David Ling. Oh, oh, I didn't know yes. that. Oh, interesting. And, but uh, the thing I remember about it is that it like keeps escalating. Yes. He keeps, he, yeah. It's like a mind game. It keeps asking <laughs> uh-huh. him to do more and what? more dangerous right. things, and you're wondering where yes, it's going to stop. Yes, because the original stuntman had died. Right, that's and right. That, that's right. Uh, but it, he's keeping it from the police. He pretends that this this guy I who walked on the set... I didn't know that Lean was flamboyant. being flamboyant. Well, he, he said he's somewhat. You know, you know uh, O'Toole turned down Dr. Shivago. Because he did not want to work with Lane again. <laughs> yeah. I, you know? Interesting. Turned out to be a good call. Yeah. But um, anyway. Although I don't think Omar Sharif was very good on it. No, no, no. That's Julie Christie's film. Yeah. But uh, the film uh, didn't do bi- much business. Everybody agreed, even though it got these Oscar nominations. And almost all the reviews were very, uh, were raves. And he only directed one other film, 14 years later, called Color of Night, with Bruce Willis. Oh, hmm. yeah. Did not see it. All I know about it is that uh, Mr. Rush was nominated for the worst director by the Razzie Got Awards the Razzie. in 1994. Yes. He's wow. now 90. Um, I think he's still alive, but he has not worked in years. Interesting. And go to YouTube. Watch this movie. It, you'll have so much fun. And again, you know, but remember our sugar, sugar example. You know, we can laugh at the one-hit wonders, but again, he at least he had a hit, and that is yeah. a that but was it, a but really it's, good it's movie. True. It's a movie lovers movie. Yep. No, I, I, that's that's yeah. that deserves to be dug out of. Uh, 
obscurity. Yeah, it was on DVD, but it's I don't know if you can find it. it now. Never shows. Never no. shows. Yeah. Occasionally, yeah. I think Turner Classic Movie had it on Peter O'Toole Day at four in the morning. Yeah. The other thing from that period that never shows, which I completely don't understand, is Resurrection. Yeah. Uh, be, that never shows either. Kellen Burstyn, yeah. I think her best performance, oh, and that's I think saying she's something. Wonderful. Yeah. But that's for another episode or two down yeah. the road. All right. So my number two is a film that uh, has stayed with me much more. It was a terrible failure when it came out. Um, it was... So it wasn't a hit. It, was, it wasn't a hit. It was written and directed by Michael Tolkien, oh. uh, who, of course, wrote The Player and, you know, was, has achieved fame. And, and he just did the uh, wrote the Escape from Danamora series on, um, uh, on oh. Netflix, I think it is, that did so well, Ben Stiller directed. And it's amazing. But, and it's about the... Most unfilm-like subject possible, and it's it's a it's a religious film called The Rapture. You guys remember? I it? did yes. see it. Yes, it's with um, he offered the main female role to Sissy Spacek, to Meg Ryan, to a whole bunch of other people who turned down, and he ended up with Mimi Rogers. Right, and she's I am not very, a not a Mimi Rogers fan. She's very good in it, and she is she's stunning in it. Because she st- the story is fairly simple. She starts out as a- living this life of complete and utter debauchery. Yeah. I mean, you know, sleeping with different people every night. She and her husband go around prowling for yeah. other couples. Maybe they, he's, he oh, oh my, but in the worst... Co- and then she starts start hearing this... She's a telephone operator by trade. And she starts hearing this buzz around work about, he's coming, he's coming, it's coming, it's coming soon. Are you ready? You know, have you seen the pearl? Everyone's having this dream about a pearl. And it is, of course, the rapture. And, of course, you know, her response at the beginning is, is predictable. But at the but she eventually um, comes to become a born again. And she embraces this vision and its prophets wholeheartedly. And the thing is, her passion... Her sexuality in the early scenes is just as intense in a different right. way as her passion right. as a new convert yeah. to to this. Fa- it, it just just incredible. And David Duchovny, first time I ever remember seeing him, plays a guy who's one of the guys she picked up early in the film. But they they stay in touch, and eventually he converts to they get married, they have a daughter. Right. He's killed in an office shooting. Um, he's become a very good guy, and she. The daughter, who's about six or seven, is just like, I can't wait. I want to be in heaven with daddy. You know, and so Mimi Rogers gets it into her head to go with her daughter out to the desert. And, you know, like like Jesus did for the 40 days. And await the coming of the rapture, which the prophet, who's a young boy in the beginning and a little older as we got, has predicted is coming soon. And what happens out in the desert is just one of the most... Two incredibly shocking things. A, a shocking act of violence happens. Very quietly, but it's a shocking act of violence. And then he heads into Carl Dreyer country because the rapture comes. Right. It actually does come. Okay. Except when she is ready for her moment of salvation, she hesitates. And I don't want to reveal too much about why. And I have to say that those scenes at the end, it had a very low budget. And so this special effects scenes at the end when you see heaven and you see her in purgatory and you see hell behind, they're really cheesy. I mean, they look they were, yeah. like they were made for a buck 95. But it's a film about religion that gives you 
absolutely no easy answers. True. It's one of the smartest films I've ever seen on that topic. Mm-hmm. And um, and again... I haven't seen it in ages. I mean, no, I haven't people, seen it since it came out. People suspect that they hired Mimi Rogers because she was Tom Cruise's wife and the, and and the so Scientology... And is. And the, well... <laughs> there you go. And the Scientology, but... Oh. It's, we we I need think to she rip did on say Tom. He should be a priest. Um, yeah, he had a, he had long bouts of celibacy apparently. But yeah, in their well, marriage, no big loss apparently. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> anyway, it was It was a uh, a complete disaster when it came out. Even on its low budget, it lost money. Uh, Tolkien, that was 91, it that came out. That was the year before the play. Right, so the next yeah. year the player came out and he was riding high as a writer. He Although dr- I hear he was initially not happy. And writers are player. never happy yeah. with That's why it's a love the players so much, because it's about how miserable the writers are. Although <laughs> he, said, he said after the whole film was done, he did, he did a Yeah, I mean, that's a masterpiece, yeah. straight oh, up. Yeah, but, um, but, and did a film called The New Age, which was sort of a... With uh, Judy Davis? Right, exactly. Yeah, a more co- like Peter, Weller, Peter Weller. A more comic kind of take on this, but... I like that movie. Um, it, the end is, is, it's not, look, it's not drier. But the end is as powerful as, as say, Day of Wrath, which you know, which is about witchcraft, and you know, all you think it's another yeah. witchcraft paranoia film, and then one of the characters at the end of Day of Wrath turns out to be a witch, not the one we think, not the one they burn for it, but and then of course Odette, you know, with this you know young simpleton who keeps claiming he can bring people back to life because he's Christ come back. Right. And everyone's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. And then in the end, he brings somebody back to life. And it's that matter-of-factness of the miracle that Tolkien borrows for the rapture. And it's... Mm, yeah, it, it, that's, it's that's an excellent point. It's stunning. I mean, not it's the wrong people, the wrong time, the wrong theme, but it's a film that you will not be able to shake. It's a film that you will not be able to forget and will keep you There's thinking. There's scenes that I remember. Yeah, and you much. and it's been and almost it. 30 years yeah. since you've seen it. Yeah, yeah. so I, yeah, I it is available. Well, I, I, remember, I remember most of it. Yeah. Now. I, I, I'd like to see it again. It's free, and it holds up very, very well again, except she, for the special effects. Does she act anymore? I don't know. The she... last time I saw her was as Barbara Streisand's sister in The Mirror Has Two Faces. Oh <laughs> a movie I've been trying to forget. Yes, another oh, light classic. In that movie of Jeff Bridges, The Door on the Floor. Was she not? Yeah. Oh, I like that. The movie. Door on the Floor was a good, good movie. Yeah, good movie. Gosh, All right. So before we go to the best film of the year, I, I sent you a trivia question. Oh, wait, what was the trivia? talk about. But, but, but I, I just want to give the little trivia before. The light before the dark. Yes. <laughs> of the of probably the biggest hit, financial hit ever, of a one-hit wonder. And it was a movie that came out in 1981. 81. And there was a sequel to it, and, and then um, uh, there was a remake of it, but the director died the following year after the movie came Arthur. out. Arthur. You got it. Yeah. Arthur. By Steve... Uh, uh, Gordon. Steve Gordon, that's yeah. right, who died. 44. Yeah. He was 40. I don't particularly like the movie. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> I mean, I like John Gilgood. Yeah, he won the yeah. Oscar, but... Uh, but uh, it's not a very good movie. I never bothered with well, the sequel. Well, uh, Dudley Moore was better than Russell Brand, I can tell you well, that. Well, you saw oh, the yeah, remake? Yeah. And how was Helen Mirren? 
Uh, in the Gilgood role, I mean, it's like it's atrocious. Turn down, turn down something, Helen, please. Please <laughs> <laughs> say no to anything. Gilgood was excellent. In it. Yes, he yeah, was. Yeah, no. No. So, but it was a huge I, hit. I, I know. I I can understand why people liked it so much. Yeah. Right? Any. Any other honorable mentions of, uh, of, of One Hit Wonders? I have uh, Donnie Darko is a film that, you know, Richard Kelly, yeah. you know, that seemed like such an original vision when he came out in 01, and he just disappeared. I had Lonely Are the Brave. Yes. It really, Did Douglas direct that? No. No, no, no it was it? Miller, David Miller, who was uh. a working director, and it was written by Dalton Trumbo. And that's why I just couldn't really call it a one-hit wonder. Yeah, but it is an excellent. I know. Also, there's a lot of movie. there's a lot of there's some studio directors too that worked all the time. Yeah. And that most of their career made mediocre movies mm-hmm. and maybe made like one really yeah. good movie. Yeah. Um, John Farrow comes to mind. Right. Uh, right. Because he did uh, the Big Clock. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful movie. movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, most of what his other work is. Not very good. No. I mean, he did Wake Island, which was, I know, nominated for a bunch of awards, but I think that... Hondo? Didn't he do Hondo? was mostly, I think you might be right. Yeah. Yeah, I think he did. I think he did, yeah. I mean... Yeah. And, yeah. The one, the other ones I was thinking of were sort of marginal film. Well, I mean, uh, Blair Witch Project was not exactly marginal. It, it turned a hell it of a profit. It was a huge hit, but right. I don't understand that. I, the success of that movie at all. One great shot, the little handprints on the wall at the <sighs> end. It was worth almost the whole movie for that. <laughs> um, there are handprints on the wall of that theater with me trying to get out. Yeah. <laughs> Up, up. The oh. curmudgeon rises. Um, I'm sorry, that was an awful movie. And I was gonna—I was thinking about American History X too, which I love. But there's a lot of controversy about whether Tony Kay actually directed that. I mean, Edward Norton took over oh, and yeah. apparently redirected a whole bunch of it. And the Honeymoon Killers, I was thinking of too. Leonard oh, Castle's I like that movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. That's who another that? great. Leonard Castle, who never, never did really? anything. Yeah. Oh. So there you go. But which brings us to okay. It's time for number one, which in everybody's who's a, even a casual film fan is, of course, from 1955, Charles Lawton's The Great British Actor, um, his one directorial effort, which is Night of the Hunter. And where do we even begin with this? Well, one? I'm going to push back a little bit because I, I think the movie's a little uneven. Yes. I think, I think it takes a while to get started. The whole part in the beginning, uh, I think, is okay. Brother, have I told um, you the story of love? And- yeah, I, I, I don't think the movie really <laughs> comes to its own and gains self-assurance until he's married. Because that's when the conflict between Mitchum and stepson John really begins. And that's what the movie's really about. And, and also, and that's when it starts to take on the sort of fairy tale... Thing, and that's when the movie really starts to go into territory where you, that's very original, dreamlike, and, and dreamlike, and some of the images are so so good. For those of you who've never seen the film, and uh, most film fans have, and also I think the music is really heavy. Isn't? Yes, yeah. it is. Who did the music? Walter Schumann. Not not of the famous humans, but no. <laughs> um, but it's the story of uh, Peter Graves has a brief part as a man who takes part in a robbery. 
Um, and he's about to, he rushes home, he's about to be caught by the cops, taken away, and he hides the, his ill-gotten gains in his daughter's, in daughter Pearl's little doll. Right. And uh, he's taken, we see him taken off. That, I love that scene where, you know, John, the boy, is going, no. No, when they're when they're when the first time, the first time, the second time was a little like, wait, what? The first, the second time, when it happens to Robert Mitchum, right yeah. when it happens at the end, I I think it's like very contrived and phony because he hates him. Yeah, I mean, it, he absolutely hates him, and for good reason. Yeah. it's like I, I, I mean, the first time I was like, nah, come on. Like he hates this man. He's probably he'd probably be cheering him to lock him up. And he has the great that Peter Graves has a great misfortune of being roomed in prison while he's awaiting his hanging with uh, possibly one of the great villains in all of film. Top, top ten, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. definitely. Oh, oh Mitchum. Uh, the acting overall, the film is a little uneven. Yeah, Mitchum is great. Lillian Gush is excellent. Uh. Uh, James Gleason is excellent. Shelley Winters is great. You like well, Shelley? Shelley's I thought okay. she, she doesn't have much to do. She doesn't have much to do. No, she but really I like doesn't. the it's, fact that she, you know, watching it again. I don't like uh, Evelyn Varden who plays Mrs. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Yeah, I agree yeah, with she, you. I think she's a little too much. It's almost cartoony. Yeah. Well, um, I, she has one of the best lines of the film, which is when she's talking about having sex, she just lies there and thinks about her canning. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that's a real sub-theme of this, is female sexuality and oh. female enjoyment of sex. And, you know, Robert Mitchum's character, he eventually, you know, in, in an oh, effort to get months. the... Yeah, I mean, and he marries her and eventually kills oh, her. That scene, but, uh, that scene when the, the wedding night is oh, absolutely devastating. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, um, and, the, and so he's about to, you know, he's figured out that the money is in the doll, and he's about to, he's killed the, the mom. He's go, go, go. The kids are able to escape and lock him in the cellar for a, for a while. Then they get into this boat. And the rest of the film is the trip down the river right. until they're... And that, I, love, I love that whole part when they're, they're going down the images uh, that's so interesting and creative and otherworldly. And some of that was shot on a soundstage. Oh, yeah. And I'm not... Well, shot by Stanley Cortez, who, of Stan, course, did mm-hmm. uh, Ambersons. Um, so we're dealing with one of the best. And, and we should go back to the fact that Lawton never directed before. A movie. Never, yes, right. He directed was, stage. He yeah. Directed stage. And, and not only works, that, he so was. to work with actors. My um, theater professor was directed by Lawton. Oh, really? He was in the original Kane Mutiny. Oh. And Lawton was a replacement because it was originally Dick Powell who was uh, directing the play, and Henry Fonda fired had him fired because uh, the play was going nowhere. This was. The, before the movie came sure. out. Mm-hmm. And uh, couldn't stand him, and Henry Fonda just arranged for Lawton to come in, and Lawton, according to my professor, who wrote a play about it, Lawton just completely transformed it, and he said it, yeah. it's the reason that play was a hit. But, but one of the things about Lawton, though, because of his humility, he was very open about the fact, mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing right. kind of attitude, okay. and, gave, and gave them all, like, the... Stanley Cortez and the production mm-hmm. everybody a lot of leeway so therefore they were able to put a lot of creativity and come up with all these different images and ideas also to the actors apparently he, he, he would uh, ask Lillian Gish there was an interview I watched a mini documentary on it 
asked Lillian Gish, what do you think of this? I don't think it was very good. And she goes, it was fine. It was fine, believe me. And after... Well, he was after, filled with a lot of self-doubt. He was he really... He done a movie right. before, so Well, was, although I think, you know, he, 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 the script was written by James Agee, mm-hmm. as if we don't have enough talent on this Although film. I yes, think that was thrown out. Yeah, right. yeah, he... Lawton rewrote the whole thing. He wrote a script that was... Uh, a lot of people said it was something like 300 pages yeah. long. Yeah, it was a Heaven's Gate script. And Lawton, yeah. Lawton redid the whole thing. did rewrite it. it down so they could actually make a But, I mean, the thing that always stands out to me and by the way you know when I, I showed uh, you know t- eight films a year to my students at Brooklyn Academy of Music when I taught there Night of the Hunter was never never failed never did, did, failed did your they like loved it they I'm were totally curious. obsessed with it. Yeah. it it well it, it sticks it's a fairy tale yeah. and it's and Robert ver- Richard is the big bad wolf and of course you know famously Spike Lee stole Radio Raheem's Little monologue about the love and the hate yeah. that's yeah. almost yeah. word for word yeah, from Mission Mother, Mother Goose. And, but easily her best sound performance. Oh, I mean, yeah, it right? was the yeah. only, when uh, she got uh, recognized from the American Film Institute, that was the only clip of a sound movie they yeah, showed. I, I mean, but her strip. She's, she's excellent. Yeah. But she's also a little oddball and strange, and she's got some of the best lines in the film. Yeah, there's, but it's also this really interesting because there's a little, there's a reference, a short reference to her son. Because there's something, mm-hmm. yeah, which we don't hear. Strange. You don't really fa- hear the whole story, but it's sort of like she comes from a broken family, right? Right. So she has all this empathy. Oh yeah, like she her. couldn't save her son, mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah. And she's always checking the mailbox, you know. Right. So she's and, become everybody's mother, but yeah. 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 And and you know and one of the girls goes a little wild you know and a uh, little boy crazy and so it's I think the reputation of the movie improved in the in the 60s probably after Lawton died yeah, I, was, I think if Lawton cuz Lawton was only 62 when he died I think if he had lived longer I think he would have made more movies well, they, he had to deal with Paul Gregory, the producer, to do mm-hmm. Armies of the Night, the Mailer book, and you know when Night of the Hunter was such a ter- dismal yeah, failure. It was. I mean, not even close. It, that deal got and canceled. And I can, I actually, under, having watched it again uh, recently, I can understand why it was not a hit in the fifties. It is. Oh yeah. It is a very unpleasant movie. It's just. It's. It's. Not difficult to watch, but... Well, also, you were at, at a period, too, when mm-hmm. uh, the so-called kitchen sink dramas right. were, were very popular. And this we is already, right, John. Already yeah. won yeah. that yeah. year. What do you want to do tonight, John? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the same reason. There are actually two movies on tonight on Turner Classic that kind of fall in the same... Uh, that, that are great movies now, but were considered flops then. Uh, Ace in the Hole. Oh. And, um, <gasps> and Sweet Smell of Success. Sweet Smell of Success. Oh, my. Movie. Both yeah. of them. Two of my favorite movies yeah, of the 50s. Yeah, but they were both, they were both uh, financial disasters. Could Sweet Smell of Success? It was, well, it was kind of acid. Both of them. Those yeah, films are well, yeah. etched in acid. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but the thing that, that struck me about Night of the Hunter was the elements of expressionism that are there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yes. it, it's really, this is, yeah. I clearly Lawton Especially was familiar with. Because at the beginning, it's, it's a little bit more towards a more realistic bent, I think. Um, and it's, it's very spare, a lot of the right. shots. And then once they get, they get married, then the expressionism starts to take over. Especially once... When he's chasing them, and the, the, the way the lighting's it's up the stairs from the attic. No, then that I, that reminded me of Nosferatu. It's oh, when he's yeah. climbing oh, up yeah. the stairs with oh, his he, arms. It, it looks like a monster. Right. 
and 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 there's there's you know some parts of it with the shadows and the shapes of the windows look right out of Caligari. Yeah. I mean, and and you know there's a lot of Murnau in there. There's a lot this this scene when Pearl and John go to school and they're singing the song. Kids are singing the song about yeah. the 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 hangman because yeah. their dad just got hanged. Remind me of the opening of M. Yeah. Remember when the kids yeah. are singing the song about the killer and the women right. up and the way? Like, stop singing yeah. that, kids. And, yeah, I mean, clearly Lawton, although having never directed anything before, he knew his... And he occasionally used silent film techniques, which is probably also why some people didn't like it. Like, they are probably feeling like, huh? Like, why are they it's, it's funny you say what, what you're saying about, you know, not liking the beginning. I read them... Um, Doing some research, I read the uh, original New York Times review uh-huh. of Night of the Hunter, and Bosley Crowther was just the opposite. I know. He liked the opening, yeah. he liked the beginning until they got to L- Lillian Gish part, and then he 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 calls it as he calls her performance as wispy. Yeah, I no. remember the hell what? that is. She's she's is. tough as she's strong yeah. as God. She I love her and line. She, he says the whole movie just goes too soft towards the end. What? So, yeah. Children are men at his strongest. They abide. And what you have to admit mm-hmm. is the best use of the word abide in a movie, except <laughs> yeah. for the Big Lebowski. Yeah, All right? No, okay. Second best use well, of also, abide. I, lo- I love when, you know, Mitchum comes to the house and he's going on about trying to find my boy and everything. And he and says, that's not my father. He says, no, it isn't. He's no preacher either. <laughs> <laughs> and and to me, the second best shot for me in the movie is the famous, when they're both singing, when they're singing, oh, Living on the Everlasting shot. Arm. Uh, uh. And then Ruby, the older girl, comes out and blows out the candle yeah. and he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> But the yeah. best shot and one of the, you know, we talked about in our uh, favorite openings episode, you know, I said that my favorite shot in the history of film was the opening of Hiroshima Mona Moore and the, and the bodies in the ash falling down. Yeah. Um, right up there in my top five is her yeah. dead body in the car. Yeah. Under, oh my under God. the river. Oh, that's that. I will never ever forget. That. It is even now, even all these years and later. It's really interesting you bring that up because the first time you see the movie, I think, when you you see that you introduce to the James Gleason character. Because th- you already know something bad's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, with that music. And yeah. you're thinking, James, oh, James Gleason's going to be the one to save them. Mm-hmm. But he's so overcome by seeing, finding the body that he drinks They're going to think I did it. They're going to think I did it. He drinks himself into a stupor and he's useless. And the, and the kid takes it upon himself to get away from there and gets in the boat and they go down the river but the and way, just by chance they the they way that away. shot where her hair you know she's strapped yeah. into the car and the car is sitting on on its wheels at the bottom yeah. of the of the riverbed and her hair flying in one direction yeah, and the, the seaweed floating in the uh, it's just one of the most startling moments in 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 film period yeah. in any kind of film yeah. yeah it's a great great image and you just really really wish that Lawton had gotten another chance i mean yeah as i said i think if he had lived he would have because i think gradually people would have realized i remember as a little kid being told i gotta watch this movie i was like you know 12 or something yeah I, the first time i saw it, i was very young too, yeah and i i remember liking it a mm-hmm. lot although i kind of felt like i didn't really understand it i mean i was i was a kid but i was like this is like really different. I really like, I like these images. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the feeling I had. And, and even like the, and the image you're referring to, I was like, oh, wow. Like, Just you know, startling. Have either of you seen the TV remake? Nope. Yeah, I was curious. With Richard Chamberlain. 
<laughs> no. No, yeah. I, I, I've read about it. Yeah, and I, I think that's all I wish to do. Well, I was curious because... Richard Chamberlain and the Robert Mitchum role. In the Robert Mitchum role, Diana Scarwell as uh, oh, Shelley. And I don't know who plays the uh, Lillian Gish part. They don't... <laughs> I think they sued to get their name off or something. <laughs> it was Mrs. Yeah, Smithy. The, the beginning, I want to say, it's not that I, I don't... I just don't think the beginning until it is, is done as well as the rest yeah, of the movie. Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to film one hit wonders, there's everything else, and then there's Charles Lawton's Night of the Hunter. Yes. I think almost every every film fan, serious and casual, and everywhere in between would agree on that. So um, that about wraps her up. But uh, we have to give our uh, monthly necrology. Um, we did lose Stanley Donan, um, oh, who, in boy. addition to the Kelly musicals and um, and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, you know, was it was a good uh, he directed director some too. very very good. Indiscreet comedies. No. Uh, I never get tired of, of charade. Charade. Yep. And has you have you ever seen a movie called The Grass Is Greener? No. Yeah, I introduced that to I've John. Yeah, uh, it's a kind of a five. Speaking of Robert Mitchum. Five uh, person comedy. I forget who plays the butler, but it's Cary Grant, Deborah Carr, Robert Mitchum, and Gene Simmons, who's hilarious. Wow. And it's the same uh, playwright as Indiscreet. And it, in Minneapolis. When I went to college, it showed all the time. That's how I discovered it. Here, they, they rarely show it. Interesting. And it's, it's Stanley Donnan. Don't forget, Two for the Road. Right? Yes, with Audrey Hepburn. I think uh, one of the great romantic comedies, Bedazzled. I yes, don't really, I don't, I don't, a lot of Two for the Road really is not funny. Really? Well, I wouldn't call yeah, it's it not a, really uh, a comedy. Okay. It's, it's yeah. humor I, I love I, that movie. Bedazzled is funny. Bedazzled yeah. is funny, though. I like Peter Cook. I don't, and, think uh, I, call it. I don't know if I call it a comedy. Comedy. Okay. Well. And we also have to uh, say goodbye to Albert. Oh Finney. boy. And uh, I was a huge fan. I, I think he was my first male crush. There you go. <laughs> All right. But uh, the truth revealed. But there was a. Um, I have different. I have. I know. Feeling about. My my view of Albert Finney is is mixed because sometimes I thought he was a little hammy. Sometimes I thought he was excellent. What do you think he was hammy in? I mean, Aaron Brockovich. Although I, I did kind of like him in I that. I like him in Aaron Brockovich. I think he's excellent in it. Do they teach beauty queens how to apologize? Because <laughs> you suck. <laughs> awesome. That is a good line. Yeah. Uh, but he was criticized because he didn't become the next Olivier. But if you look at his filmography, almost all of his films are, if they're not the greatest films of all time, they're of high quality. Yeah. I Ab- mean, also, speaking of one-hit wonders, he directed a film called Charlie, Charlie Bubbles, Bubbles. That's right. That's which right. I did see. I don't remember it. it. He's in it. Liza Minnelli. It's her film debut. And um, to my knowledge, I don't think he ever directed again except maybe a TV movie that he co-directed in the 80s. I mean, he's also my all-time... I mean, I saw uh, Murder on the Orient Express when I was nine. Right. Best Poirot ever. There, and I said I it. I think he's a better church... Suck it, Kenneth they never, Branagh. What? They never show that version. Oh, I mean, it's on uh, oh, Turner occasionally. Love that movie. I've never yeah. seen it on there. Oh, yeah, late, it's... usually. But yeah, Turner has it. Yeah, it's it's it's, an it's so movie. much better than the Branagh. Oh, the Branagh is so bad. Well, the, the, the Branagh one, they took all the humor out. Yeah. And um, he does that. <laughs> it, it, became, it, be, it became became very the, melancholy, and it became the Hercule Poirot show. And um, 
But, Whereas Lumet was smart enough to lean on, you know, that incredible group of character right, actors, yeah. you know, and A-list and B-listers playing everybody. Uh, apparently movie. to a very generous person, because uh, Mike Lee was quoted as saying that he wouldn't have a film career <laughs> if it went for Finney. And Finney has never appeared, but he, but he helped him. And um, No, uh, a loss, real, yeah, a real loss. What? And also, I just got to mention, Go ahead. five Oscar nominations, not only did he never go, but he was quoted as saying, why would I want to fly to California to sit at a, at a ceremony where I can't drink for five <laughs> hours? <laughs> Man spoke the truth. Shoot the Moon, another great film. Another great movie. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so many. That's Again, so another one who was in bad films but never gave a bad performance, yeah. I don't think. Well, that's where I push back, I think. All right, go push. I think occasionally he was, he was a little hammy. I can't start naming moments yeah, okay. in films Okay, right no, but you yeah, got the feeling. I yeah. I, I, he's hammy in the dresser, but the dresser... Well, he's, he's supposed to be. Right, he's supposed, supposed to be, be over the top. That's, that's different. Yeah. No, he's playing a ham actor. It's Why doesn't nice. anyone show the dresser anymore? That's such a good They movie. don't show... Well, they remade it. There was a TV remake with no. uh, Ian McKellen. And why, God, why? I forget who else. I never bothered. We should also mention that our mutually agreed upon favorite film writer, David Thompson, has a new book out uh, on the history of sexuality in film yeah. that is supposed to be a very mixed bag, very smart in some ways and a little dense in some others. But it's David Thompson, so got to read it. Um, thus ends our much-delayed February show. Thank you for your patience, all of you waiting on tenterhooks for us to come back, the return well, of... you. Exactly. <laughs> Not related to John. And... Um, and uh, our episode in uh, in March, the end of March, is going to be a, di- a deep dive into one particular film that we feel has each of us has been uh, really unfairly lost in the shuffle of of films. So we'll uh, we'll give you some material for compensation for contemplation is the word I was looking for there contemplation, and um, and there we have it. So uh, as ever. Um, Vincent Sand is a five nines and a four production. Uh, we thank our fabulous producer, Melissa Cabot. Uh, we don't thank Mama Sue for the space this time because we're at Sprawling Vintage Sand Studios South yes. on 14th Street on the other side of 14th Street. We'll see if the sound is better. <laughs> it could be. And Gabby, for our logo, of course, please, as always, check out our website, www.vintagesand.org. Uh, dot com and uh, we welcome comments and suggestions for episodes. Yes, just just be gentle with us. That's all we ask. Be good to us. Your feedback, your suggestions, and uh, we say to you, happy watching and uh, our our new ending now. And may your favorite films always be streaming.